Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here with a very special episode. And we are speaking today with Steffi Prestridge of Lineage Law in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So I was super excited to get Steffi on the show because we connected on LinkedIn and I found out that she had a passion for serving her clients, which I think has gone through every aspect of her law firm. And I'm super excited to hear how she's been doing these things and how this could be applied for estate planning practices or really any practice if you think about it. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Steffi. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. So I wanted to start out with a little bit of the origin story, right? So, you know, obviously you got the point where you're at the practice right now, but you know, how'd you end up getting here? What got you into estate planning? So it's interesting. And I have to give all credit to my grandparents. Actually, I went to law school and I got a wonderful job straight out of law school, actually doing maritime defense and international trade. So it was one of those hoity-toity jobs that, that really a lot of lawyers aspire to have straight out of school. And I remember sitting in my office and I kid you not, I had a wall of windows behind me and you could see the Mississippi River because I was in New Orleans and just feeling like I had arrived. I had done what I achieved to do. And I got a call from my mama and she raised me. So when mama calls, you stop and you answer. And she said, Stephanie, Papa has been diagnosed with Parkinson's and Parkinson's related dementia. And we, we knew he was ill. We knew something was coming, but that was pretty devastating. And, and she said, what are we going to do? And I'm a new young lawyer. The truth is, I really don't know much of anything. And, and I just remember thinking, well, call, call mom. My mom is a nurse. She's an outstanding nurse. And I said, call mom. She'll tell you, you know, what we need to do, you know, to look into nursing homes, what type of care. We don't need it all right now, but call mom. She'll help have a plan. And my mama is fierce. Oh, my goodness. And she said, very quickly put me in my place and said, I didn't ask you where we go. I asked you, what are we going to do? What about our home? What What about everything we've saved? What about everything that we have worked for? What are we going to do? And I tell everyone, it was really one of those life-changing moments because at the moment that it mattered most for the people who mattered most, I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue. And I I mean, it just changes everything. And I remember it took a little time, but ultimately I moved home to help take care of my grandparents. And as part of that process, I was smart enough to know what I didn't know. And I didn't know how to help them. So they found an attorney, a very capable attorney in their hometown. And I proceeded to drive that attorney crazy. We went to the meetings together and I would sit there and ask 9 million questions or send 15 emails and just trying to understand. And that's really important because I came to that practice from the different side of the table. I didn't walk in as the lawyer, even the lawyer who was still learning. I walked in as a family member, as a part of the client core. And that lawyer ultimately called me and said, if you planned on sending me another email or calling me with another question, I have five files on a desk. 
come work them. So he gave me a job. I started there and I learned so much and ultimately decided to go out on my own because the knowledge was so valuable, but the experience was just as valuable and, and, and how most lawyers run an office. Talk about an origin story. Like, I don't think I've actually ever heard something a call to purpose in quite the same way ever before on that stuff. Uh, so basically I wanted to kind of ask, so after you ended up transitioning to working for that estate planning firm, as opposed to doing the stuff you're doing with maritime law, um, also super unique, by the way, I think you might be the first formerly practicing maritime attorney that I've ever spoken to, but you know, how did that change in terms of like your day to day? Like I, I can imagine it was probably pretty energizing, right? It was a very different practice and much more individual family focused as versus large corporate focus. So, so it was more personal and more real. So it really, it, it changed your day to day because you weren't thinking about, you know, abstract concepts that affect a, a small group of people. You're actually looking at everyday real life concerns and worries. So it really brought just everyday experiences living into perspective and then looking at it from a legal, you know, concern and family concern, it changed my day to day just on the most basic core level. And then, of course, the the hours are different and the type of work is different. So it, it was a, a an improvement as far as a practical work life. But I think the biggest change was was really on just just looking at everyday experiences that we don't maybe we don't think about until you have them. And having to find ways to address them with peace and joy and, and calm. Yeah. I was going to say peace, joy, and calm might be a little bit harder working in the corporate law practice for most people, right? Depends on the practice. Depends on the practice. <laughs> Just calm at the end of it. <laughs> like I was going to say, but I mean, it's kind of interesting too, because I'm guessing like the, uh, the interactions are kind of different too, because it's like, you know, not knowing a ton about the specific business law practice, but you know, when you're winning a, you know, helping out with a merger or winning a litigation thing or something like that, you know, it's very different than the really tangible impact that you make. And, you know, one that you'd encountered yourself as well. Right. And it's like, I always, it's kind of crazy to think, you know, as far as the, the whole state of the uh, country is with, in, in regards to state and elder planning, it's, you know, we got probably 60% of families that are heading down that road. And, it was awesome that your Mima ended up having the situation where she understood that that was something that she proactively had to do, but there's so many people out there that don't come to that decision on their own. And it's, you know, the estate practices, like the one you're running, the one you're at, that kind of get people there. But well, and, and I'll throw out something I think is really important here is notice that Momo didn't call me because my papa was dying. Mm-hmm. She called me because my papa was living. And people forget that. And it's so fundamental to this practice. Estate planning is not death planning. We are not grim reapers. In fact, I am positive no one has died simply because they came to see me. <laughs> but, but that's what people link it to. So you have your financial planning. That's what they consider their living because you need the finances to live. And they look at estate planning as preparing to die. And there is an element of that there. You do want to prepare for where your things go when you die. But my origin story started not because someone was dying. It started because someone was living unexpectedly. Yeah. And you actually make me think about something that I think is a huge problem with the practice of estate planning as a whole. And I don't know if you've ever like encountered any of this stuff too, but I feel like a lot of the stuff that the marketing community as a whole 
talking about Avo, Google, most of these things. I think a lot of that stuff happens from the reactive and, you know, God bless the people that go out there and say, Hey, I got to get the jump on this. But the reality is so many people are coming in for the root canal of probate instead of, you know, getting stuff in order, which is then you know, flossing and brushing your teeth. So how have you guys gotten yourselves out there to be able to encounter people at the right time before it's too late? So we have a, a unique practice model here. We at Lineage will not take a client unless they have a financial advisor. Uh, I would tell you over 90% of my clients come from financial advisors. And that's because we, we recognize the huge distinction between our businesses. You need to have a plan that says who can take care of you or where your stuff goes if you pass. But that plan does not provide the finances or the mechanism to make sure that you get the care you need or that you live the life you want to live. So we actively went to local advisors, literally pulled out the phone book when I started Lineage, and they still made phone books then, and uh, pulled it out and flipped through them. And, and thankfully, I was in a, a small enough town where you, you, know, you know a lot of people, your family knows people, but I went through and cold called advisors and said, please let me buy you a cup of coffee. I had a lot of coffee in six months, but sat down and said, look, I just want to tell you why I'm doing my business this way. And, and it you know, gave my story and said, I don't want to take a client unless they come from an advisor. And I was so blessed to have advisors who were willing to take that leap with me and say, good, you're not trying to sell them anything. You're not trying to move them away. And in fact, I, I was so adamant about it. I said, not only do I, I want to have clients that have advisors, I am willing to come to your office to have this meeting because they belong to you. They have been with you. Most people have their advisor for a very long time. So, so I'm willing to come sit down and y'all walk me through the financial plan. And at that time, give me some thoughts. What are your concerns? What are your worries that you need to address? And from there, let's make sure that the estate plan works with your financial plan. And it was beautiful. Clients loved it. Advisors loved it. It was, it, it created a partnership instead of separate pieces for people to put together themselves. That is, I mean, I gotta say, one of the things that I do not hear very often when I'm speaking with attorneys about how they built the practice is the word cold call. So I, and that's the thing. It's kind of interesting too, because uh, this is something I've been thinking about for a long time. And, and oftentimes one of the situations that I see that's, that's kind of, I'm not going to say sad, but a lot of the times people start off their practice, they have a ton of momentum, and then they find themselves down the line, five, 10, 15 years, and they realize that they're still kind of coasting on the referrals that they had in the beginning. And the thing is that in most states, if you're going direct to the market, you can't really, you know, cold calling would be solicitation if it was direct to a client, but going to the financial advisors is totally cool. And you, you know, put yourself out there and did it, which is fantastic. Can let's talk about the relationship a little bit. Cause I want to say like, basically I can tell us if anyone's listening to this podcast, you can probably also tell, you know, the authenticity that you're coming to conversations with is not something that one can fake. <laughs> so I think it definitely rang as super true with the financial advisors. But as far as the relationship, you know, I always try to think about networking stuff as in, you know, what's in it for me, right? What did they get out of the relationship with you? And how are you able to leverage that to make this a win-win partnership for them? That is an excellent, an excellent question. I really appreciate it because 
And I think any lawyer can attest to the frustration that they feel when a, an advisor or a partner or any business comes to them and says, hey, I sent you three or four referrals. What have you done for me lately? Um, and it's frustrating because, because you want to do something and sometimes our hands are so tied. So I try to address that at the beginning, very, very open about who I am, how I practice. And with each advisor, I would be very clear. I work with other advisors. So you need to know that, that I love this relationship, but the guy down the road may send me clients too. So you're going to have to like me enough, one, to trust that I am never going to refer your clients to anybody else. And that, that's, you've got to start there. Do you trust me enough to know that I'm not going to do that? Because if you don't, don't send me your clients. And then I would follow it up with, I need to explain to you how this works for lawyers, okay? I can make a recommendation to a client. I can encourage them to, to go get an advisor. And in fact, if I have someone today that walks in my office that does not have a financial advisor, I will tell them, I'd love to work with you. You have to find an advisor. Do you want recommendations or do you want to do this on your own? You know, we, we work from there, but I'm also very clear about please do not expect me to send you a client every month or every week because I can't do it. One, all my clients come from advisors. And then two, if and when I send you a referral, it's going to be the right referral. So I may have five people without advisors walk in the door before I send you one. And the reason is I'm not just going to send you every person that walks in the door. You're going to tell me about your practice, your preference. What do you like to do? Where do you feel like you help people the most? Because when I send you someone, I'm sending you the right someone. So it's worth the wait when it comes through. Everyone has been very open about that. They've been very appreciative that I was so direct about it. Um, and that's a hard conversation to have because they are building their practice as much as I am building my own. But I have also been able to soften that with, surprisingly, clients often tell their lawyers things they don't tell their advisor. So I cannot tell you the number of meetings that I've had where somebody came in and they were like, yeah, I work with Mr. Smith down the road, but he doesn't know about this TD Ameritrade account where I have all this crypto, or he doesn't know about that, you know, uh, Raymond James account that I have. So it's one of those where if, if I get information when they engage me, I tell them, you have to give me permission to speak to your financial advisor. You have to give me permission to disclose the information that you're giving to me because what I draft doesn't replace your financial plan, but it has to work with your financial plan. And if they are working with half the knowledge, then you're doing yourself an injustice. And what is happening is I'm able to go back to the advisor and say, hey, did you know that they got like these really old life insurance policies out there? Did they ever tell you about it? Well, no, I didn't know about that. So that would change what we're looking at for policies that we're looking to buy or policies that we're growing. Or, you know, I don't know if your client understands that diversified does not mean you have Edward Jones and Raymond James. You know, like they're the same. You, you've got the same investments in both companies. So um, it, it's really been a unique conversation because now the advisor can come in and say, I may not have gotten a new a new client or a new sale or a new product, but the client I have is now a more robust, better client.
Right. So they're stickier in the, the account. They've got more assets under management at the end of the day. So that's, a, that's, that's such a win-win. And um, I also want to point out too, like, I mean, I guess um, there's, there's two things that you did similarly that I think are such a, so brilliant. Um, the first thing is that you understood what the fears were. And instead of letting people have the conversation in their head about what was going to potentially happen that was wrong, you went ahead and had the conversation with them to preempt that. Um, I think that's fantastic. But like, let me ask you this too, because I'm starting to see a couple of uh, trends in <laughs> you wrote to the top here, Stephanie. The cold calls, the uncomfortable conversations, these are the things that a lot of people will, I think, hold themselves back because they're not willing to have them. How do you think about having uncomfortable conversations and what allows you to do something that, you know, looking at the results, not a lot of people are willing to do? So... I faced this a lot as a lawyer who's who's grown our business. At the time I created Lineage, I had um, one child at the time who was in private school. We had a, a, a lovely home and I had tuition due and um, a mortgage due. And as a, on a personal level, participating in providing for my family isn't just something that needed to be done. It was something that I take personal pride in. So it's very important to me that I contribute on a financial level, which is just, again, a a personal quirk of mine. And so when I started Lineage, I had to be successful. I had to bring money in so that I felt like I was contributing and so that I could make sure that my child's next tuition payment was made. So there was an element of my feet were to the fire and you cannot underestimate or devalue the importance of that because so many people who come in and they've got that you know salary which is so important and needed their feet are not to the fire because whether or not they make that goal doesn't change what they get that month I had to meet my goals because I had to pay tuition right so for me not making those calls and not having those conversations was not an option it had to be done you had to succeed and not paying tuition was going to be way more uncomfortable than having an unusual conversation. So, yeah, choose your discomfort, I guess. <laughs> you know, but it's a mindset too. And and as someone who now hires lawyers or hires staff, that mindset is shocking. And you know, I have lawyers that I think are amazing, and and it's interesting. I've got one right now that I literally was presented with an opportunity to take over a, a branch of a firm, and I, I was like, "You've got to take it. This is an amazing opportunity." for you. And when that move was made several weeks in, she called me and she said, I get what you were talking about now. It's different. It's not about, did you just meet your bear quota or did you, you know, did you, you know, get your salary paycheck? Now it's about being a leader. It's about taking control. It's about making sure that you do what you set out to do. And that mindset is so different and it makes a huge difference in your practice. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit more about how you've been able to get that mindset to other members on your team. Like I said before, we can definitely feel what it's like talking with you, Stabby, but how have you been able to, to transfer that to other people that are, that are working with and other people that might be interacting with your clients? Oh gosh, you probably need to ask them that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, it's a process, right? It's, it's 
They, they listen to me work with clients, they work with their own, and then they'll come back and say, well, I had a different experience than what you thought I would have or what you thought would happen. And, and it's literally, um, we literally would have like mock conversations or mock client meetings and walk through cases and say, okay, this is actually a crazy one I had. Here's what the client said. What would you have said? And it was a really neat learning tool because it, it was neat to see how someone else's mind thought about the law, thought about the problem. And then I would back it up and say, okay, here's what I did, or here's what I saw, here's what I said. It could have been better, it could have been worse. And, and from that, they really progressed and, and took hold of their clients and asked better questions. Better questions is always the answer. Did you ask a better question? Right. Um, it's, it's been a learning process to pass that on. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think also this kind of tees up a segue for the big thing that I wanted to talk about in this podcast, which was your philosophy on serving the client. So I think I have a pretty good understanding on why you ended up getting this, why you care so much, but how do you guys bring this to reality in the day-to-day of running the firm? So customer service is more important to me than anything else we do in this firm. And, and I've told people, and I'll say it again and again, I have fired lawyers who did not return phone calls. So, so let me say it again in case anyone misses it. <laughs> if someone works for me and they do not return a phone call, they no longer work for me because that's the most basic core element of any practice you have, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're an engineer, whether you're a doctor, whether that is the most basic element that you have. Because when someone calls you, especially in estate planning, they've got a question, they've got a worry, they've, there's something motivating them to call you, to, to reach out, something got them there. And you may not have the answer, but what they really want is to be heard. And if you can somehow convey back to the person who called, I got your message, I heard your question. I am not able to take care of it at this moment, but you should expect a return call in a day, in two days. But more than anything, I heard you. That changes everything. And <laughs> I'm kind of giggling as far as how, how strict are we talking about the no return call? Are we talking one strike? We're talking two strikes? Like, how do you think about keeping people in line with, with holding up these high standards? I have three strikes, you're out. And okay. the clients that come through my firm know. And at this point, um, if, if a call's not returned, it's amazing the number of emails I will get. Hey, I left a message. I didn't get a call back. I'm like, I got you. I'm, I'm here. Yeah. And that's such a good feeling to have too. Cause just like, you know, knowing that somebody has your back at the end of the day too. And, you know, compared to some other practice areas too, like, you know, estate planning, it's not urgently stressful, but at the same time, in the grand scheme of things, it's it's no less important. I mean, people might be a little bit more aware of an ongoing, you know, criminal or personal injury case because it's you know staring them in the face. But people need to know. And at the end of the day, too, it's like you know when we're talking about estate planning, this is a plan that's going to be taken care of when you're not around, right? So how is somebody supposed to trust you when you are around, <laughs> right? So no, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. And then um, as far as kind of the results you've seen too, like, do you guys keep any sort of metrics as far as like, I don't know, net promoter score or anything? Like, how do you measure how well, um, you know, other people at the firm are doing as far as holding up your vision? So I asked, I'll just call the client and ask, 
Uh, and you know, we you know you can send out a review or you can send out an email, but if you haven't figured it out, I like to talk to people. So right. I'll just call and ask and say, you know, hey, I know you worked with this lovely person in my office. What was your experience? You know, were you happy? Was there something we could have done better? And people will tell you the good, the bad, the in-between, and it's so useful to come back. And, and I've had people sit down and say, hey, Steph, I've loved working with you, but I wish you could have done this. Thank you so much. I would not have known if you had not told me. So, um, and I had one a couple of years ago that um, I actually sent out a, a letter saying, hey, look, it's been a while to a number of my clients. I had opened in a new office and I said, you know, send me back any feedback over the years. And I have one that only one, thank goodness, but it caught my attention, one bad review. And it was based on the fact that that client was located in far north Louisiana and I had not been, I had not traveled far north Louisiana in several years and they felt like I abandoned them. And not that I was going to start driving back to far north Louisiana, but I was able to call and say, thank you for telling me that because I wouldn't have known. And let me explain why I'm not doing that anymore, but thank you. So it's, it's amazing what you can learn if you just ask. Yeah. I got to say too, going back to the whole uncomfortable conversation thing, I feel like a lot of people might hold themselves back from asking those questions because they're scared of what they're going to do with the answers. But in your experience, like, you know, what's the worst answer? I mean, again, you kind of went over some of those, but have you ever found a situation where you got a piece of feedback that you weren't able to work on as, as quickly as you could? Yeah. I mean, obviously I can't address every fire all at once. Um, but I try very quickly, whether it's feedback or just, you know, just a regular question, anything coming in, um, I try very quickly to acknowledge receipt, right? So I got this and I want you to know it's in my hand. And even if I can't address it right now, I got it. And that buys me some time, whether it's time to finish what I'm doing and then address it or time to think about it or time to ask more questions. I need to have that acknowledgement and that that buffer so that I proceed properly in the future. And that has been a huge difference in, in just acknowledging receipt of information, whether it's a compliment or, or a negative comment or, you know, just a follow up on a state matter. That acknowledgement is a big deal. Yeah. And it's an interesting gap to bridge too, because like, you know, it's bad to be in the situation where you're in a hundred percent reactive space. And then somebody asking a question is going to completely redirect what you were doing at that point. Right. But you kind of get the best of both worlds doing that. Don't you? It's like, they get the feeling that they're being taken care of and you've gotten yourself some time to you know address it in a time that makes sense for you. So I can definitely see how this would be fantastic for the client experience. And um, one thing I wanted to switch gears to a little bit is just talking about how this has helped you from a marketing perspective. So I understand you guys have built a really tremendous practice based on word of mouth. So do you guys have any process in, for that specifically, or how does that kind of work at the firm? So, I mean, and it's interesting that you bring that up because when you and I first connected, my comment was, I have no marketing, right? I, um, I have uh, nothing online. I have nothing on Facebook, you know, nothing on Instagram. I have nothing. And uh, it is literally all word of mouth. And in fact, I turned limited amount of advertising we had on off, like, like Google AdWords, we turned everything off 
just so I could keep up with what I had. Like literally was buying myself a break, right? And it got, I got more. <laughs> it, was the, it was the craziest thing because suddenly, even with nothing, promoting the name, promoting the need, more and more were, were coming in. And, and without fail, it was either, and a lot of it's from prior clients now, not just advisors, but people are coming in saying, we're willing to wait months to see you because we know that when we do, you're going to listen. And it's worth the wait for that, just to just to know that that someone's going to be here and I'm going to have your full attention when I get to have your attention. You know, um, I don't know if that answers your question uh, very well, but everything at this point has been based off of referrals or, or, you know, just word of mouth. Yeah, I guess if there was one thing I was kind of seeing the if, if you had, it's like, I mean, we've had some guests on the podcast. I'll do a lot of communications like, you know, client barbecue once a year or the newsletter that keeps people around or somehow trying to uh, spark the fire of getting those word of mouth referrals. Or is it honestly, and if it's the case that it's 100% coming your way without having to do it, that's super impressive. Um, but either way, yeah. I don't do uh, barbecue sounds great, especially if somebody else is cooking. Cause I love, <laughs> yeah. um, I don't do those. And, and I actually have considered them. I think personally, cause I would just enjoy them. Um, I will tell you the biggest, the biggest things, if, if it weren't just client, you know, prior client referrals or advisor referrals, two things. Um, I have a cell number that is readily available. Like, like it's, it's, you know, it's on the internet. You could, you could look up my cell number today and, and reach Stephanie Crestridge and, and people are blown away by that. And I, I don't answer every call. In fact, I won't answer a call if I don't recognize the number, but I, everyone knows if you send a text and say, Hey, this is Joe. I was referred by Samantha. I respond pretty quickly. Thank you so much. Someone will be in touch very shortly. And it's me responding, like actually texting or you know, sending the reply. People love that. And then the, the second thing that I've done that I've done for years, people can email me directly. And I have an autoresponder that basically lays out my work schedule. And, and I, it, it used to have a picture of my kids on it. I don't know if it still does, but I actually put on there that I work these hours. I leave every day at 2.45 because I'm going to get my children from school and I may not answer. I may not respond until tomorrow, but that autoresponder, I've, I've actually got the metrics where you can see that someone has forwarded it to other people. I have gotten Facebook calls. I have gotten separate emails, you know, mother groups, law groups saying this autoresponder is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. That autoresponder has brought me more business than anything I have ever paid for. And it was free. So. Yeah. I mean, that's fantastic. And this is, this is something that's come up in a couple conversations I've been having lately, but just like, you know, being able to really take a stand for yourself, and I think it makes a lot. And some people think, okay, the way that I'm going to get ahead in, in this legal practice is I'm going to be up, I work until 9 p.m. every single day. And a lot of times I think it's misguided because if people take on more than they can chew, then they end up dropping balls. And I think the conclusion is like, that I've come to at least, is like people don't need the response time. They, but the, the, the responding on, on your own terms doesn't anger anyone. Violating expectations does. And what's brilliant about that is you set the expectations right up front. 
no one's mad. No one's like, oh, get get a load of this gal. She's, you know, who, who does she think she is getting out of 245 every single day? As a matter of fact, they respect it. So, you know, I challenge anyone in the audience who's been kind of holding back from doing something like this that, you know, it can kind of have the opposite effect sometimes. So that's fantastic. That was a really, really good tip. Um, I'll note on that very quickly, not only did people respect it, but they honored it. I have trained my client base when to email me. I have trained them when to call me. I cannot tell you the number of text messages or phone messages that I have received that say, I know you are with your children right now. This can wait until tomorrow. And isn't that amazing? And more than that, especially on an estate planning level, the number of times that that autoresponder opened a door to a better legal conversation. So I've had families come in and say, hey, I know you have two kids. I have three. Let me, what's going on with your kids? Where are they in school? Let me tell you what's happening with mine. And the planning that came from that was real. It wasn't some stilted conversation. That was real and as real as it gets. Better planning because we have better conversations. Yeah, I mean, it's such an authentic approach. And at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you're really representing yourself and what, how you want to live your life and how you want to run your practice. And people are, you know, you can either follow the program or hit the road. <laughs> it's not a good situation. Okay, so my last question for you, what's next for Lineage Law? Where are you trying to go? I just want to keep doing good things. I don't have a number. I don't have like a financial number. I don't have a client number. I just love what I do. And I love my people. Oh, I love my people. I, my, I have the best clients in the world. And I want to just keep doing good things as long as I can. That's it. That's a great goal. I think that's awesome too. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of like that old, um, what was that? That Zen quote, right? Before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Okay. This has been an awesome conversation, Steffi. I super appreciate you taking the time. If anyone wants to reach out, got something in the Baton Rouge area, what's the best way to, to get in touch with you? Um, my office number is 225-300-476. Fantastic. Thank you so much for the conversation, Steffi. I think this is so full of nuggets that I think a lot of people will be able to take some stuff out of. And um, again, thanks for the time. And for everybody else, we will see you next week, Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.